0: Let's pray together. Father, I just thank You for the time that You have given us to come and worship and praise and glorify Your holy name. And I just pray that You will speak through me today to open ears and open hearts. And I pray this in Your Son's perfect name, Amen. This morning I get the privilege of talking to you about your favorite subject. The subject that you woke up this morning, going, "Oh, I hope and pray that Tim prays or preaches on this this morning," and it is not sex. I'm sorry. It is the subject of money, particularly giving, sacrificial giving. So if you want to walk out now, I understand. Uh, but uh, let's be honest: we don't like to talk about giving, do we? Not, we don't like to talk about uh, money in church. It makes us uncomfortable. And honestly, when I was preparing this sermon, it made me uncomfortable. I think God used this time of preparation to open my eyes uh, to some uh, ungodly attitudes I have about money. We live in a consumer-driven society, uh, constantly using money uh, to buy and to sell. If I don't like what you're gonna, if you're selling me, then I'm going to stop buying it and because we live in that consumer driven society it only stands to reason uh, that it, it becomes that way in our churches we start seeing that the church is something that we buy that there has to be a return for what i get from the church if i like what i'm getting then i'll give This unfortunate attitude completely misses the point of giving. We're going to address that uh, more in a moment. The church needs to to be talking about money. Everyone else is. I mean, you can't turn on the TV these days without hearing something about uh, money, the economy, uh, the stock market, gas prices. You see ads wanting us to buy a new sofa or rent one, which I never will understand. You buy a new car with zero down New cell phone that makes you going to make your life so much easier. Buy, buy, buy. Half off. Buy one, get one free. Doesn't these pants make me look slimmer? Or these shoes make me look taller? Or this shirt makes me look younger? God forbid if I don't have this new. And you fill in the blank. Buy, buy, buy. We are being bombarded by what the world says money is used for. Go ask a child what money is used for, and I promise you they're going to say to buy things with. Most of us would say the exact same thing. The world is fe- uh, feeding us this message, and it's telling us what we should be buying. We are filling our minds with their value system, and it's worked. Most of us is bought into that. We all drive nice cars. Uh, We have more cars, many of us, than, than we have people to drive them. We live in nice houses. We have nice clothes. We eat good food. We are comfortable. And yet we think we can't afford to tithe or just choose not to. Our homes are full of stuff. Our garages are full of stuff. Our attics are full of stuff. And we can't afford to support a preacher in India or a child in an orphanage. We scoff at someone alongside the road asking for food. We say, go get a job. Quit being lazy without even trying to find out what their situation is. We stand in judgment, knowing little about them. What if money had a bigger purpose? What if its main purpose wasn't for buying? What What if it wasn't even ours? I think the church as a whole has done a disservice about not talking about money as much as we should have been because we have been afraid to upset. Uh, We're going to rectify that a little bit today. Luke uh, chapter 4, verses 32 through 35 is the text we're in today. And, uh, or Acts, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4. Luke is the one telling the story here. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. And here's what he says. All the believers were in one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all that those were in that in them all that there were no needy persons among them from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need briefly i would like to pull out three truths that we can learn from this scripture and then go a little bit deeper into the attitude uh, that these early christians had towards money The three three truths are this. First of all, all the believers were in one heart and mind. Secondly, they shared everything. Everything they had. Nothing was off limits. And thirdly, because of this generosity, the apostles were able to continue the work of spreading the word of Jesus' resurrection to open hearts. First of all, look at at verse 32. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. All the believers. Now to make sure we're on the same page here, this all the believers are talking about is the 5,000 men who uh, had committed their lives to following Jesus. If you remember back in Acts chapter 2, uh, after Peter's first sermon, there were 3,000 uh, men gave their life to Jesus. And that number was growing daily. And after Peter's second sermon, that number had grown to over 5,000 men. And we know that they only count the men, so this number was far larger But just for the sake of discussion today, let's just say 5,000. Now when my family uh, goes out to dinner, there's only six of us. We cannot decide on where to eat. What is it that 5,000 plus men are of one mind? One commentator uh, said it this way. They were of one heart and one soul. They were in a state of the most perfect friendship and affection. And all the 5,000 so perfectly that they agree in all their views, religious opinions, and holy affections that there appeared to be one heart and one soul. Have you listened to the presidential debates recently? Not a lot of unity going on there. Ladies, you know this to be true. Most guys think that they are always right. I know this because I'm a guy and I'm always right. You get a half dozen men, and I could do this here today. And I could I I could get six of you, and I would bring up any subject, and I would guarantee you there's going to be some on one side and some on the other. I think it's our nature. So putting this into perspective, having five thousand plus men so perfectly agreeing in all of their ways, that's nothing short of a miracle, even on par with parting of the Red Sea. How does this happen? Here's how they set aside their own desires and completely, 100%, live to serve and please please others. One heart, one mind, totally devoted to one another. You see, when we stop thinking of ourselves, when we uh, what we want, and exclusively think about others and what they want, we begin to start looking like that early church. Let's ask ourselves: Do we see this in our lives today? Do you see this in your family? How about in our church? Your workplace? Are you personally modeling this kind of selfless behavior? How about I ask your spouse? Or your kids or your friends how you're doing in this effort? Let's admit it, most of us fall way short in setting our own desires aside and living 100% for others. But that was what the early church was doing. What if... What if we were always putting others first all the time? What if our first thought was not about me, not about what I want, but it was about you and what you want and what is best for you? What would our families look like? What would our church look like? What would our world look like? Far different than it does, I guarantee you. The second truth we see is that everything was shared. Nothing was held back. Nothing was considered their own property. When there were needs, someone would just step up, sell something they had, and give it to the apostles to distribute as they saw fit. And from reading from reading the text, I didn't see where uh, the apostles were asking for donations either. They weren't uh, making pleas for the needs of others. They weren't um, having sermons on giving. What I read is from time to time, people just looked at what they had. They determined something that they could do without. They would sell it, and they would give it. They just gave. How do you get these thousands upon thousands of people to understand that what they owned was not theirs? And the bigger question is, how do you and I I get to that point? That we understand our possessions are not ours to possess. Why don't you think about that for a second? Our possessions are not ours to possess. They are a gift from God. We're just stewards of what we have. We didn't have them when we came into the world. We're certainly not going to be able to take them with them when we leave. Our possessions, our money, our stuff are about tools that God has given us to bless others with. And how we use those tools determines their value. Money is a tool given by God to be used for others. Bob Russell tells a story of a capital campaign. Bob Russell was the preacher at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And they were doing this capital campaign to raise money. And this church already was several thousand people, and it was growing rapidly. And they were wanting commitments for three years. And he received a letter during this pledge process uh, from a a young lady, a single mother, husband long gone, single mother to barely making ends meet. The letter begins by telling Mr. Russell that they had met as a family and had determined that they, they really wanted to give above their tithe, already given the tithe. They really wanted to give above that, but they just couldn't see how they were able to do that. And so they had, had decided as a family that they would pray every single day, mother, a son, and a daughter, pray every single day for this capital campaign, that the money would be raised and that uh, uh, the, the construction, all the details, would go smoothly. And so, as she's writing this at the kitchen table, her son comes up to her and says, Mom, you know, we have cable. We really don't need cable. How how about we give up cable for these three years and we use that money and give it to this capital campaign? See, here's a son who realized what money was for. And it wasn't for him, it wasn't for his comfort, it wasn't for his pleasure is for the good of the kingdom. What if? What if we thought that way? What if we gave up some things that we really don't need and devoted that money to the kingdom? What could God do with that gift? How could that change the people around us? How could it change our community, our world? The third truth we see in this text uh, is that because of the generosity and the unity of the faithful, the apostles' message, message of the resurrection had this unbelievable power. This fresh power came from the faithful obedience of the church. Now I want you to imagine yourself at this scene. And you're seeing these, these thousands of people who have committed themselves to following Jesus. They believe that Jesus, uh, this, this Jesus that they had crucified was in fact the Messiah. And this huge crowd of people were so completely united, sharing everything that they had with one another to the point that there was no need. Picture yourself there from the outside looking in. They watched how each person interacted. How love reigned supreme. Can you imagine the impact that would have on the people, the outside people looking in? Of course the message that they preached was powerful. Uh, It had to have been. It would make a major impact. The text said that abundant grace was upon them all. A better way to say this is that the favor of the people was among them all. It was evident. Because of the unity and generosity of the people uh, of this early church, the message the apostles were preaching always had an audience. People wanted to know what was going on. Why did these people act so differently from everybody else? What if we were known for our incredible generosity and our unity? If we were constantly surprising people with our love, with our gifts, to the point that we had favor with our community? If we look so differently from the world, not by what we say, but by what we did... New people were coming every single day, every, every single week, to find out what was going on at this church. Why are you guys so different from the world? See, I believe this text in Acts epitomizes the early church, and it, it, it's a good standard for which we should uh, try to strive for. Because if you boil it all down to its core, uh, that this church was sold out for Jesus... They were united together in reaching the lost, demonstrating this through their generosity. Generosity, giving, is an outpouring of love and devotion to Christ. The problems begin when we get this reversed, and money becomes the object of our desire instead of Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, uh, Jesus is talking. It's his Sermon on the Mount, and he says this Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also you know this verse you know these verses where is your treasure how important are things to you how important is money to you and are are these things too important And the bigger question, and one that I had to answer for myself as I'm preparing this, is do I even know how important these things are to me? Because sometimes we go blind to things that that are right in front of you. Have you ever uh, looked for your cell phone or your keys, and then you end up finding them in the exact place that you have looked for them a number of times before? Sometimes we are blind to things that are right in front of us. You see, we might say money and stuff isn't that important to us, But our lives don't reflect that. Here's a good barometer. If Jesus came up to you and asked you to do what He asked the rich young ruler to do in Mark chapter 10 and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything that you have. Everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then come follow Me. Would your action be the same as the rich young ruler as he walked away saddened? Because he had a lot of stuff. What would your reaction be? Would you look for reasons why you couldn't do that? That that would affect your family just far too much and surely God doesn't want me to really do that? Would your reaction be, well, Jesus just wants my money. That's why He's talking about it all the time. He just just wants my money. It kind of sounds familiar. Would you try to reason in your mind that that what he when he said sell everything, I know he said sell everything. But what he really meant was, and then you fill in something there. What would your reaction be? You see, we are fine when God only asks a little from us, when we can do that little something and still be comfortable. But when God asks us a lot, ask a lot from us. When He starts making us uncomfortable, when He starts meddling in our personal comforts we tend to get defensive and make excuses we come up with reasons why we can't or we shouldn't do that because we don't like to be uncomfortable we don't like to be stretched here's a question for you can we truly have faith if we are always comfortable are we really trusting God when we have everything that we that we want isn't that what faith is Stepping out into the unknown and the uncomfortable. Knowing that from an earthly perspective and standpoint that what I'm doing makes no sense whatsoever. But I trust God and do it anyway. Isn't that what faith really is? How important is money to you? How important are things to you? The things you buy. Your house, your cars, your newest electronic gadgets, your clothes. What about your savings account, your retirement account, your IRAs and your CDs? Any of of you worry when the stock market was tanking a while back? Do any of you worry about having enough money to retire on? How much faith are we really putting in money instead of the God who created it? If we are all completely honest, money and stuff are way too high on our priority list. We think we can't live without it, and the more we get, the worse it becomes. Our faith is in our stuff instead of the provider of that stuff. I want you to think of something that you have at your house, your favorite thing, favorite thing in all the world. Maybe it's an antique car or a, a beautiful watch or uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a dress, or just this gorgeous slimming dress that just makes you look aces, whatever it is. Would you gladly go home and sell that and give the money to the poor? That's just one thing. We are being strangled by the world's values of what is important. We and I put myself right in the middle of this. We are doing the exact same the same thing that Jesus told us not to do. We are storing up for ourselves treasures on this earth. So the question becomes: Not are we worldly? but how do we change? How do we change this mindset when we put stuff, money, and material things in the proper perspective? Becoming exactly what God wants from me, a sold out, all in, sacrificial giving, Jesus testifying, God honoring disciple of Christ. How do we do that? How do we get to the point that we can honestly say it's not about the stuff? It's not about the money. It's not about the money. Say that with me. It's not about the money it never was i'm not talking to you today because the church needs your money church is doing just fine this is a sermon about your heart my heart as i said earlier i was writing this it hit me right right square in the chest it's about who my master is who am i a slave to where is my treasure and how much importance and reliance am i putting in money And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about having things. I'm the worst. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with having things. I just know what I read in Scripture. And it says I can't have two masters. I cannot love money and stuff and love God. And I read that God wants me to be able to sell everything that I have and give it to the poor and be okay with that. I read not to put my trust in anything that will rust and fade away. And I read that I am a fool if I desire to hold on to things and big big build bigger barns to hold that stuff. At the same time, I read God loves a cheerful giver. I read that God will open up His storehouse if I tithe. And I read to instruct those who are rich in this present world, and by the way, that is you and me, rich in this present world. Not to be conceited, but to fix our hope and, and not to fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all the things to enjoy. To instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. Storing up for ourselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That's First Timothy chapter 6. You see, I own nothing. It's all God's. I am but a steward. A manager. Nothing I have ever bought. Nothing I have ever inherited. Nothing I have ever given. Nothing I have the title to or the D to is mine. And yet sometimes I hang on to those things like they are. Matthew chapter 25, just a few days before His crucifixion, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And He gives them the parable of the talents. I know you know this, this parable. But just as, as a refresher, a man was was going on uh, going away for a while, and so he gives uh, his, his, his money to his slaves. He gives uh, five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent to another. And a talent is just a weight of something. They believe that this was a weight of silver. So let's just say it's a bag of silver. He gave five bags of silver to one guy, two bags of silver to another guy, one bag of silver to a third. The slaves that received the five bags of silver and the two bags of silver used that money and increased the value doubling it the one with one bag of silver he hid that money because he was afraid so a long time later the master returns and asks his slave to give an account of what he did with the money that was entrusted to him the first two were congratulated well done good and faithful servant You were faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Enter in the joy of your master. But the third one, who kept his money hidden because he was afraid and he didn't use it, his master was not happy. He was rebuked. He calls the third one wicked and lazy. And he takes what he has and he throws him into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here's the truth of that parable. At some point, my master is going to come back. And He's going to ask me to give an account of what He has entrusted me with. Have I hoarded them, acting like they were my own because I was afraid? Have I stored up for myself treasures on this earth, built bigger barns to hold them? Have I lived my life for stuff? Or have I used these things for His kingdom? Have I been generous, not looking at my own possessions as my own, but as a tool to help others? Folks, this is not an imaginary tale. It's not a good story. This is reality. I will sit before my judge, my God, and hear a history of what I've done with what He's entrusted to me. So the question I have to ask myself is, have I been a good steward? Have Have I been a good manager from what He's given us? Money and things are a tool He's given me to love on others. And have I been faithful to that? That in itself, I think, is a good reason to loosen the purse strings. I don't ever want to hear my God tell me, that I have not been a good steward, a good manager of what He's blessed me with. The problem is, I truly do not believe God wants me to give out of fear of retribution. Fear of punishment. I think He wants me to give because I love Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about a gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. And in verses 6 and 7, he says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and He goes on expressing how God supplies everything we need, and how we are, if we are generous, God is glorified. And then Paul ends the chapter with this statement and, and verse fifteen. Thanks be to god for his inexpressible gift see when i was young i obeyed my parents because i was afraid i was afraid of the consequences of what would happen if i didn't and as i grew older i obeyed them more out of respect than out of fear and now if they asked me to do something i would do it in a heartbeat because i love them why i do what i do is important When I was small, I accepted Christ more out of fear of hell than anything else. As I grew older, I tried to follow Him because I knew it was better for me when I did. I did it more out of respect for His wisdom as the Creator and Designer of all of life. And now, now I listen and follow Him because of His incredible, inexpressible, undeniable love for me and my love for Him. I desire to please Him, to trust Him, to serve Him. Not because I have to, Because I want to. It's my honor. It's my privilege to serve my King. Be generous. Not because you have to. But because we get to. It's a privilege. It's an honor to give and to to glorify God in this way. My son works as a youth minister at Crossroads Christian Church in Baxter Springs. A couple of months ago, one of the elders of the church, a very, very generous man, came up with him came up to him at church, and gave him two $100 bills. And he said this, here's $200. I'm not sure it's for you, but I know you're supposed to have it. I'm not sure it's for you, but I know you're supposed to have it. Well, he calls me later on that day and tells, tells me what happened. And we had just found out that 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 his little brother, my youngest, had lost this piece of electronics equipment. And uh, it was... a couple hundred dollars and he said dad should I should I buy Weston this new piece of electronic equipment I'm just not sure what to do and I said you know what just pray about it I'll pray about it you pray about it I, I am quite confident God will direct you and in, and um, in where this money should go so a couple of weeks later I'm back down there at the preaching and teaching convention <clears throat> and I take my boys out to lunch and uh, we're at lunch, and Cameron says, oh, I've got to tell you about that $200. He said, uh, you know, I started feeling kind of guilty. I, I'd had it for a couple of weeks, and I'd just been praying, God, God direct me where this $200 should go. And he said, I, I had a couple of opportunities to, to buy people's lunches, and I didn't do them. And, I, and he said, I, I started to feel kind of guilty. So one Sunday, he just said, I, I decided that I'm going to uh, buy some kids some uh, their lunch. And there's there's several uh, students in his group that that go to church and their parents don't, and so he was going to invite them to lunch. So he did, and there was a couple of other students there that uh, uh, that their parents were out of town. So he ended up had there was nine of them, and they were going to go out to uh, uh, to dinner after church. And they, they they he just told them, hey, meet me at Freddy's. Uh, they go to Freddy's a lot after church because Freddy's on Sundays gives ministers a free lunch. You just she, yeah yeah hey i didn't know that either <laughs> yeah uh so uh so they were going to go to freddy's and he would just have to buy one less lunch and so he was going to show them the garden so he's leaving uh leaving uh um, baxter springs heading to joplin and uh there's a couple uh ma- young man young woman on the road uh dirty unkempt uh you can tell they hadn't showered in a while and uh, he pulls over and says, "Hey." you guys need a ride somewhere, and they said, well, sure, uh, uh, we're, we're heading to Joplin. This is great, that's where I'm heading to, hop in. And so he, he takes them on the church, or takes them uh, towards Joplin, and um, he says, hey, I'm, I'm having uh, a couple of, uh, having invited a couple of kids over for lunch. Uh, would love to take you guys out for lunch if you'd like to. And, and they said, no, thank you, I appreciate it, but no. Um, start talking a little bit and said hey do you go to church anywhere I Says, well we, we actually did just try to go to church over in Baxter and and uh, uh we walked in and, and we just because of probably because of our clothes we just got a lot of stares and we sat down and and before the church even started a gentleman come up and asked us to leave and of course Cameron's just heartbroken and he says oh I'm so sorry I mean that's not the way the church is supposed to act. That is not the way Christians are supposed to act. And the gentleman said, you know, I know that. I'm a Christian. It still hurts a little bit. And uh, they, they continue talking a little bit and, and uh, find out that they're homeless. Uh, the last ten days or so, they've been living in an old dugout, an old baseball dugout. And uh, they, he had lost his job I got laid off and uh, weren't able to make rent. And so um, Cameron just says, how how much would it take for you to get back in your apartment? He said $175. He knew immediately where that money needed to go. And he said, you know what? A gentleman at our church, a very generous man, gave me $200 to help somebody in need. And I know this money it should, should go to you. And the couple said, No, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't want that. Said, no, and I insist, I know God wants you to have this money. So he gives them the $200. <clears throat> and he said, You know, and I, I really would like to take you guys out for lunch today. And this time they said, You know, we, we would love to go. So here's Cameron, now not, not nine, but 11. And he's taking them, and he's already given his money away. <clears throat> and so he's thinking in his mind, how much money is this going to cost me, and do I have enough money in my debit account to pay for it? So they get to Freddy's, and he pulls out his ID and says, "Hey, I'm a minister, and, and I get my free lunch, and but I'm paying for the other eleven in line here." And the uh, lady behind the counter said, "You know, got some bad news. Our computer is down today, so." <clears throat> Instead of just your lunch being free, everybody's lunch is free. See, instead of closing shop that almost any other sto- uh, place would have done, Freddie's decided to stay open and give away free lunches. So he's, he, Cameron goes back um, after lunch, takes this couple to the place where they can pay their rent, uh, pays it. He and a couple of the boys that are with uh, come over with him. They help the guys. This couple move back into their apartment, and uh, uh, tells them that that you know he gives them the two hundred dollars and he said, "Hey, you use that extra twenty-five just to go buy groceries with." He goes back uh, to the, his youth group that night for their for their evening uh, session, and, and he's telling them about what what all transpired, and. Uh, one of the youth sponsors there says, you know, I'd like to help this couple. Um, I, r- I really would like to buy a bunch of groceries, and you take them over there. Cameron said, I, w- I would be happy to. So the next morning, he, he, he takes all these groceries over to this couple, and, and uh, you know they're just ecstatic. And they said, oh, I, t- I tell you, this couldn't happen at a better time. You see, last night, after you dropped us off, Uh, we had went to the grocery store to buy groceries and there was a lady in front of us who had gotten more than what she could afford and she was short and so we had given that $25 that you had given us to her to buy groceries to finish paying for her groceries. But he said, you know what, that's not the greatest news. He said, uh, I had a friend of mine in this apartment complex and last night uh, when we got back, I was telling this friend of mine all that had transpired. He said, I'd been trying to witness this friend for a long time. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And uh, he said, I was telling him all that transpired. And this morning, my wife and I were walking out the door and we see this man, his face is buried in the Bible. And I said, what are you doing? he said, after hearing what you told me last night, I, I really have to rethink this Christianity stuff. Generosity creates open doors and open opportunities to share the gospel. And this all started with one man and his generous gift of $200. Money is a tool. And how you use that tool determines its value. It was not intended to be hoarded to use for our pleasure and comfort. We are using the tool like God intended. It will bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, the question we've been asking you over the, the last few months is will you? Will you step out in faith and increase your giving? Not because you feel obligated to, but because the creator of everything you have has asked you to play a part in his kingdom. Will you look for opportunities to be generous? Will you use what God has entrusted to you to reach the lost? Or is your treasure here on earth? The choice is ours to make, but the choice has an impact for all eternity, not just on your soul, but on all others. Let's pray to God. Father, we know that uh, you have given us so many things to be thankful for, so many blessings, so many opportunities And we take those things for granted so many times. Father, I just pray that You will open our hearts and open our minds to the great cause that is in front of us. That there are hurting people everywhere. There are people that need to know You as their Lord and Savior. And I ask, Father, and I pray that You will guide us. That You will... Help us to open our hearts to give. To give freely. Not because we have to. Not because we're obligated to. But because we get to. Our desire is to please You. And Father, we all want to see You one day. Father, just guide us. Help us. Encourage us. Strengthen us. In all ways be the exactly the kind of people that You have called us to be, just like the early church, to be generous in all that we have. I thank You for Jesus, Father, that we'll make that possible. And we pray this in His loving, perfect name. Amen.